Podcast. I'm your host, Josh, and my co-host, as always, is my lovely wife, Wesley. Hi, y'all. This week, we have got a great podcast coming at you. We have Craig Doherty of Wild Apple Kennels in New Hampshire. Craig is uh, an L. Hugh predecessor, I guess you would say. He. Uh, well, they just need to listen to the podcast and let him explain it. Yeah, better not give the, let the cat out of the bag. Yeah. So, yeah, just listen to the podcast. If you like L. Hugh Pointers, you are going to love this podcast. And Grouse Dogs, you're going to love this podcast. So, um, but before we get to the podcast, we want to mention, as always, our sponsors. First, Dakota 283 Kennels, Dakota 283 Unparalleled Pet Protection, and I mean, what can you? What else can you say about Dakota 283 Kennels? Great value, sturdy, built to last a lifetime. The best door on the market. I love their doors; it's the best door ever. And we all uh, we use Dakota 283s daily. We just ran dogs a few minutes ago and had our Dakota 283s loaded up, and also. Cable Gangs. It's the one product that you don't even know you need it until you get it. And you can use it for many different purposes. And it's definitely a must when you're traveling with dogs. Um, check them out on Instagram. Cable Gangs with a Z. Um, and that's Brennan Landry. Um, also, if you mention us, if you place an order and you mention us... If you, you'll get an extra lead, basically. So if you order a three-dog system, you're going to get a fourth lead, which you can tie onto the end or latch onto the end, and then that'll be a four-dog system. Or you can do like we do and just lead your dog to and from the um, dog box to the lead, to the um, system, or whatever. For us, we just, we like having the extra lead anyway. So that's a the code for that is... Uh, you just own that when you just mention our podcast. You just mention, mention us. That's right. Sorry yep. about that. And I forgot to mention Dakota 283 Kennels. Use our uh, promo code OUA10. Or excuse me. UOA10. U-O-A-10. U-O-A-10. I always mess that up. UOA10 for 10% off your order at Dakota 283 Kennels. And of course, patrons, you get a bigger discount than that. And also, Deer Lake Ridge. Deer Lake Ridge Game Calls. Check out their Instagram and you will see the most beautiful craftsmanship you've ever seen in Game Calls. And you will also see that they are award-winning Game Calls. And it's all that we use and we suggest you do the same. And that is over 60 National Wild Turkey Federation awards to Deer Lake Ridge Game Calls. And And I believe we offer a discount. Yep, WA10 on that one. WA10 for Deer Lake Ridge Game Calls. Don't forget to use that when you check out Deer Lake Ridge. And we want to thank all of our sponsors. Uh, we've got a new sponsor we just took on, but we're not going to mention it till the next podcast to make it official. And it's a product that every single person that owns a dog uses every time or every day. So, so listen up for the next podcast, and hopefully we'll be able to officially um, announce that. New. We've got an 80, 80 pound Yorkie and a 10 pound lab outside. Fighting. And they're really mad that they can't get to us right now. Is that an 80 pound Yorkie or a 10 pound lab? That's a or? four pound Yorkie and an 80 pound. Okay, lab. so I said it backwards. Yeah. It sounds like it's an 80 you pound said Yorkie. It completely wrong. He's, but it, it sounds does like an, sound the other way around, but that's not the case. Yes, that is a bear dog at its finest right there. Also, you can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash wing addiction. Check us out on Instagram, wing underscore addiction underscore podcast. Or if you want to become a patron, uh, you go to patreon.com forward slash wing addiction podcast. Uh, if you want to throw us a bone and help us out uh, with gas money going to and from the hunts and paying our subscriptions. Speaking of Patreon, does someone have something to announce? We have our two winners to announce of the kansas hunt yes we do we i know everybody's been dming when you draw and when you draw and well we drew <laughs> we have drew we have drawn. we have drawn we have drawn she's correcting me over here we have mm-hmm. drawn and it is michael schaefer michael schaefer you yay. are yay i wish we had a drum roller and audience back there and chris majit uh chris majit yep chris majit is from i think virginia and Michael Shaver is from, currently lives in Cleveland, Ohio, 
and said he's mm-hmm. from uh, Wisconsin. So we've done talk to the two patron winners, and we want to congratulate them. And we are going to have a throwdown. Yeah, we're super excited. We'll get some YouTube footage for you all. We'll do a podcast. Lots of content will be coming your way from that trip for sure. So if you didn't get drawn on a patron hunt, don't worry. You're still in the drawing for the Dakota 283 Kennel giveaway and the Dine and Dash. Um, We will be drawing that. We're probably going to be drawing that about the 1st of September. So you're about another month away. So in order to get in on that, if you haven't got in on that drawing yet, rate and review us. That's what I really, really, really want people to do. Rate and review us on Apple iTunes. All you got to do is go click the little star, the the fifth star, the one furthest to the right. That's the one you want to click. Click the fifth star and then go down there and write us a little review. Say, hey, these people are either the best I've ever heard or the worst I've ever heard. Don't put that, I hope, but... Just tell us what you really think. We love. And that'll get you one entry into um, the drawing for the Dakota 283 kennel and uh, feeding watering system. And just a reminder that you, if you are already a patron, you are all you are still in that drawing. Yeah. Um, So even though you may not have uh, you may not have been able to go on the hunt or you. Um, weren't drawn for that hunt you're still in the drawing for the dakota 283 kennel and feeding and watering system now if you um are you have not entered yet there's several ways you can do that Mm -hmm. one we already mentioned which is rate and review us on apple itunes um then another way is to um like us on instagram Tag a friend and share us to your story. Follow us on Instagram. Or follow us on yep. Instagram. Like the post, tag a friend, share it to your story. Yep. Um, that will get you another entry into um, the drawing. If you want to be in- entered even more, then become odds. a patron. If you become a $5 patron, you will get another one entry. If you become a $10 patron, you'll get another three four entries is it three or four no it's three okay. another three entries if you become a twenty dollar patron yeah you will get another five entries so um go ahead and do that and um you'll not only be supporting this podcast and all the money that it costs to do these giveaways and the trips and pay for our subscriptions and the equipment but um, you'll also get a great shot at an awesome product. If these dogs don't quit running me to death and breaking me down, they're going to be paying for prescriptions too. Yeah, for <laughs> real. <laughs> it's hot. But, uh, yes, go check us out. When you go on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash wing addiction podcast, you can actually go select which tier you want. That's the 5, 10, or 20, and it tells all the details under each tier. So uh, not only do you also become entered in all of our drawings, you also get a little – free gift after uh, you've been there for three months we'll send you a little something for being a patron and um like i said also be sure to rate and review us but we've also got a new giveaway to announce we're all the time announcing giveaways so this this new giveaway is going to be a three dog system from one of our other sponsors cable gangs if you've ever wanted a tie-out system this is the tie-out system you want now, talked to Brennan Landry a couple of days ago. Brennan says, hey, I want to do something for you guys. I want to give away a three-dog system. So, what you need to do to – is this a patron only or is this a giveaway to – This is a listener giveaway. Okay. So, what you're going to do is you're going to want to follow Cable Gangs. Yep. You're going to want to follow Wing Addiction Podcast. Yep. And then you're going to put on your story – you're going to share the post – from our Instagram, which is not up yet, but we're going to put a post up about the giveaway. You're going to share that giveaway to your story, and you're going to tag Wing Addiction Podcast, and you're going to tag Cable Gangs. That's with a Z. With a Z. And then after you do all that, you are entered to win the Three Dog System. What about the rate and review? Can I, well, let's not do the rate and review right now, because that'll, that'll mix things up between the Dakota. Right. Yeah, okay. So, there you go. She made the rules. She's the boss. She makes the rules. So what we're going to do here is you could tag a friend, follow us, and share the post. You have to post. follow Cable Gangs. You have to follow Wing Addiction Podcast. You have to, the post from our Instagram about the giveaway, you need to share to your story and tag Wing Addiction Podcast and tag 
cable gangs. She's the boss. She makes the rules. I just follow them. All righty. We welcome to the podcast, Craig Darty. Craig, are you there? I'm here, Josh. Ready Craig, to go. The the myth, the man, the legend, the, the I'm going to say the um, present day Elhue man. Is that is that a proper way to put it? I'm not sure uh, I would uh, I would take that moniker and, and run with it, but uh, I am deeply involved with uh, LU Dogs, and uh, I knew Bob Whaley personally, and uh, had a lot of experience with LU Dogs, and my kennel is primarily LU um, Dogs at this point. Mm-hmm. It's it's August the fifth when we're recording this, Craig, and I would say in the north woods y'all have probably already been in the woods training training on live birds uh, i have we uh uh we moved a bunch of grouse right behind my house this morning that's cool what, what's the weather like up in new hampshire right now uh it's in the low 70s it was about 50 this morning uh <laughs> we had two mornings this week that were in the 40s oh my god uh, so uh, that's why i'm able to do what i'm what i do up here in the summers i have uh, uh i don't have a full kennel i usually have 20 dogs in the summer for myself and and various customers um and i've got a few less than that this summer but uh, uh you know we work 16 dogs most days and uh get done about noontime when it starts to warm up a bit that's that's amazing i think leslie's been throwing clothes in the box yeah i was about to say hey are you lonely do you need some company (laughs) i've been married for uh i don't want to get this wrong Uh, (laughs) no you don't (laughs) 40 some odd years let me just say that we got married in 1973 and we're still married uh we do have a spare room and uh we can always use some extra help at the kennel but uh... there you go yeah i worked outside all, well both of us worked yeah. outside all day today and it is a uh it's a hot human mess here right now so that new hampshire weather sounds really awesome yep we t- i have a daughter who lives in berea kentucky so i know what you're going through wow. yes we yeah. topped out last week one day at 99 so yeah. it, it it's been hot but it, fortunately today is is in the mid eighties, but, uh, so now Craig, you, um, you've got a kennel full of L Hugh pointers and I'm sure now when does your wild I got bird- some weird stuff here too. I got a poodle pointer and I got a Ryman style setter and I, oh. I got a Llewellyn and I got a, a field bread setter and that I'm all working for customers, but the rest of them are, are pointers. Yeah. So, so, um, so you train, so you sure you're a full-time trainer and, basically uh now you hunt also correct craig and guide yep yep yeah, hunting, I, yep. Hunting, uh, guide. I, I guide grouse and woodcock uh for the month of october okay now um, when did, when does y'all's wild bird season open in new hampshire uh we open the first of october um maine and uh, vermont the two states to either side of us um open the last saturday in september for grouse only and then woodcock the first october okay that's cool so now you said you grab uh you guide the month of october um mm-hmm. when you say you guide the month of october are you do you, you stay pretty booked up do you guide pretty much every day in the month of october craig i guide as many days as i want to yeah <laughs> <laughs> so you close and, your, your back and knees tell you when to close the books huh yeah i i um i have no new clients uh all, all all the guys that come and hunt with me some have been hunting with me since i retired from teaching um eight years ago so uh i i have a real solid group of people that that uh come in and hunt so mm-hmm. well that, that's awesome now now craig also if our if our listeners are real familiar with you, which all of our listeners, well, ninety five percent of our listeners are upland hunters, a lot of our listeners knows that Craig Doherty owns Wild Apple Kennels, and he is the uh, the I guess the modern day Elhu man. You would say that's what I know you by is the modern day Elhu man. And also, Craig Doherty is a writer and has writ- written a, has got a book out right now. And uh, the name of that book is Building a Grouse Dog. Is that correct, Craig? Yes, um, building a grouse dog. Um, the publisher added a, a subtitle in, that says something like uh, "from puppy to polished performer," but uh, mm-hmm. um, polished is a 
is a relative term, as you know, if you got bird dogs. Yep. Yep. Um, uh, uh, yeah. And I also, um, I also have a regular column in uh, Pointing Dog Journal, so mm-hmm. um, a lot of people know me from that as well. That aren't grouse hunters. Yes, and I've got I've got your book, Craig. I actually got your book. I don't know, uh, two or three weeks after it came out, uh, a couple mm-hmm. of years ago, and I've I've read through your book. My wife and I both were ADD, and uh, that's not joking. We we can sit and and I'll read five pages uh, today and pick it up a week later and read you know five more pages. So it took me a while to read it, but it's a great it's a great book, and it and it really it's very you make everything as I would call the kiss method that you keep it simple. Um, you, you lay everything out from start to finish on a dog and anybody, I would urge anyone that's wanting to train, not only a grouse dog, but a bird dog in general to pick up Craig's book and, and take a read on that. And I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about that book. Um, I'm sure you got all kinds of good feedback to, about that book, Craig. It's done real well. We, we, uh, we had to go to a second printing uh, this uh, winter, this last winter. So uh, um, the publisher's real happy, and and so am I. So, um, and I sell a lot of them directly through my website. So mm-hmm. um, that's worked out real well. Mm-hmm. So I think what we should uh, something we should start talking about is uh, what are L Hughes. Like when I first, when Josh first mentioned it to me, I was like, what are you talking about? And then I watched a YouTube um, video that you were in explaining it. And so I was pretty intrigued by the, your story of the first L Hugh you saw. And so if you just want to share with us like a brief like history of how you got introduced to the L Hugh uh, line and um, what intrigued you about that line? Sure. Um, so just a little background. Elhu is um, Whaley, spelled backwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, a gentleman by the name of uh, Bob Whaley, um, uh, who lived in uh, Henderson, uh, New York, um, uh, later in life and had a big kennel there, uh, turned his name around and started breeding dogs uh, a long time ago now. And he's been dead for uh almost 20 years Mm -hmm. 2002 Uh, i think yeah and so so bob um had a vision for what he wanted in a gentleman's shooting dog um and in fact bob was uh, a field trialer and very influential in the establishment of the shooting dog stakes uh which looked for a little kinder handling dog than than maybe uh uh was bred at the time for all age stakes um since that time they've sort of uh we still differentiate all age and shooting dog but the dogs aren't all that different but initially they they were a a closer almost not that much bigger running than a walking shooting dog even though they were uh, handled from from horseback so so bob had this idea of of what he wanted in a dog. And he was a very artistic man. He was a advertising manager for his company's beer business, uh, as well as uh, uh, a painter and sculptor. And and uh, so he had this aesthetic of what an L- a pointer should be. Mm-hmm. And he worked towards that. Uh, he made a lot of breeding decisions based on that. And then um, later in life, uh, he got kind of frustrated with the with the horseback field trials and turned his attention to uh, grouse trials. And that's where I ran into the Elhu dogs because I, I go to grouse trials myself. I've had some success at them. But so Bob, Bob helped these guys get really good dogs out of his kennel and they started having great success in the grouse woods. And uh, that's where it was from that group of guys I started hanging out with them. Um, and they uh, interceded on my behalf and, and got me a dog from Bob mm-hmm. um, that I had seen out in Texas when I was quail hunting. She was just a puppy at the time. And that she was sort of the foundation for my own kennel. And uh, what I've tried to do is um, breed dogs that are similar to those highly competitive grouse dogs that, that uh, my friends had in the um, late, um, 
well, either side of the turn of the century there. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, uh, you know, I've, I've continued to breed that way. Um, I got involved with Mel Feifel after Brian Hayes died. Brian Hayes inherited the kennel from, from Bob uh, when Bob passed. And Brian drifted away from what Bob was doing quite a bit. He, he worked on a big shooting preserve and a lot of his uh, dog customers were clients of the shooting preserve. And he sort of bred for a, a preserve type dog. Mm -hmm. um, and then after he passed, uh, Mel Feifel tried to get back to the performance type dogs. And that's where some of my current dogs are from. Mm -hmm. uh, um, and uh, if, if you guys watched that last of the LHU video, um, I think I talk about uh, a couple of dogs that we have that are, that are uh, um, the last dogs that we'll be able to, that were registered with the LHU prefix. Um, and, and now that dog's, you have a dog, Charlie, correct? No, Charlie belongs to Mel. Charlie belongs to Mel, okay. That's LHU snake charm. He's a, he's a snake foot son. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, yeah, I have three dogs in my kennel uh, that are are sired by um, Charlie. Okay. Uh, one is Elihu Snakewood. That's the dog I was referring to. That that is okay. the last dog to be registered that way. Uh, and then I have have um, a dog that I bred Charlie to. I bred one of my own bitches to Charlie, and. Uh, um, and I got a dog from a, a guy out in Illinois that I knew um, who had a lot of LU blood in his kennel. And, and so I have those three Charlie puppies. But uh, yeah, Charlie, uh, uh, when I was training, I trained Charlie. And when I was training him, he was co-owned by Brian Hayes' uh, um, widow, uh, Martha, and mm -hmm. Mel. Mm -hmm. uh, Feifel at Hampshire Kennels. Mm -hmm. So now, so now the the your current dogs, like you said, uh, the one you've got is the last name, the last dog that's going to be titled under the LHU name. So, so now all your dogs, of course, carries the Wild Apple name. Is that correct? That is correct. Yes. So, so I, I've always felt like, um, you know, it, people had wanted to know where my dogs came from. All they had to do was look at the pedigree. Mm -hmm. I didn't have to trade on Bob's kennel name mm -hmm. uh you know a lot of people put the lhu in the middle you can't put it at the beginning because uh um the field um well like nobody can register a dog wild apple without my permission correct yeah. nobody could could register a dog lhu as the beginning of the name uh without permission mm -hmm. and so a lot of people use the lhu second or third in a dog's name just to try and as a marketing right tool. Um, but, uh, you know, now, now, now looking at your website and kind of following you a little bit, uh, wild apple, Jack, wild apple, Jack. Now, was that not a gun dog that, uh, that won the, uh, the, uh, cover dog championship for you? Yes. Wild apple Jack. Well, he won five of them. Yes. Uh, his most notable one was, uh, in 2007, he won the, the grand national grouse championship. And then in 2008, his litter mate won it, a dog named Autumn Moon, that uh, a guy who became my brother-in-law for a while, and then that all fell apart, uh, owned, um, <laughs> and Scott Chafee out in Michigan, <laughs> um, Scott Chafee out in Michigan uh, ran the dog for him. Mm -hmm. um, and those dogs, those two dogs were out of the first litter that I had with the bitch that Bob Whaley he gave me lhu liber which is a type of beer mm -hmm. um and uh, bob named her i didn't and uh um i bred them i bred her dog that uh had been a a, a two-time champion when he was still a derby on mm -hmm. wild birds mm -hmm. uh, so a uh, dog by the name of of uh why not ace yep um so Jack and, and Moon were, were by Ace and, and out of my dog, uh, Leibus Shiner. And so, yep. uh, yeah, that's, um, go ahead. Well, now, would you say Wild Apple Jack is where you, I know you ran with Bob and Brian and all that, but now when Wild Apple Jack won his first championship, would you say that's what put Craig Doherty on the map? 
Yeah, I mean, that's that's that was my initial claim to fame. And uh, we brought a lot of really good grouse dogs, um, uh, not you know, champions out of the breeding program. Uh, so has so did Scott uh, out in Michigan. So um, yeah, the, the uh, beginning, I, I'd done something that uh, Jack was the best one I've had so far. Um, we'll see. I keep trying to produce another one just like him, and it it's hard to do. Oh yes, it is. It is. It is hard to do. But now, for for people that don't know. Uh, that's not in the basically cover dog world or the all age world or basically any kind of field trialing world at well as far as that goes uh dogs period um to have a good dog it's better to start with two good dogs than it is to basically what i'm trying to get at here is breeding wild apple jack to dog x that has never basically proven itself in in the trial world versus breeding wild apple jack to a dog that's proven itself in the trial world. Um, I know as well as you know, Craig, that when you breed wild Applejack to this proven dog, the chances of the puppies being great dogs are better than breeding to a, not saying that it couldn't happen and it has happened a bunch, but it's a, you got a better chance of breeding wild Applejack to a proven dog versus breeding wild Applejack to basically a dog that, you know, say Joe down the street has bred and, and hunted. Um, so that's, where when you get into cover dogs and not just cover dogs, but when you get into breeding dogs and pedigrees, it can get very, it can get very, I've bred a lot of dogs in my life and it can get very, um, let me think of the word I'm trying to think here. It's, it's very finicky. So. Oh, it is indeed. Yeah. And, and so, like you said, you, you, you bred, uh, you know, you're breeding this dog to this dog, you know, because you know, the background and the pedigree of all these dogs you breed, when you breed this dog to this dog, you kind of know what you're going to get before the puppies hit the ground. Is that correct, Craig? Well, yeah, and 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 we could get into a whole discussion of line breeding versus oh, yeah. uh, crossing and and the the beauty of line breeding when you breed dogs that are closely related is that uh, you have a higher probability of getting dogs that that replicate uh, mm -hmm. the bitch and the sire. So. I'm very selective. I don't breed a lot of dogs. Uh, you know, I'm not breeding dogs to make a lot of money. I'm breeding right. dogs to, for myself. Mm -hmm. uh, I never, I've never bred a litter that I didn't want a puppy from. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so so a lot of people do. A lot of people are in business to sell puppies. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, not that they're a puppy mill necessarily. I mean, they're trying right. to breed good gun dogs or good hunting dogs, but. Right. Um, you know, I'm trying to breed dogs that can win at the highest levels, and I know most of them won't. Mm -hmm. uh, but I—that's what I keep. That's my goal. Um, and so, you know, and I've—I've I've tied that to to the what's come before me in the in the Elhu world, and I'm mm -hmm. trying to to see my snake wood dog is a grandson of snakefoot elhu snakefoot which mm -hmm. bob Whaley, Whaley wrote the book about uh, mm -hmm. elhu snakefoot the making of a champion if you haven't read it uh, and you want to know more about elhus mm -hmm. that's the book to pick up mm -hmm. um he did a book prior to that wing and shot which is good but it's it's the training methods in that book are are kind of dated mm -hmm. um bob wasn't real proficient with a e-collar or or some of the more modern techniques we use today so wing and shot is is good but snakefoot is is the breeder's book um that will really explain a lot about breeding and even if you're not breeding pointers um you can learn a lot from from what bob has to say in that book mm -hmm. um, yeah, Leslie and I, she was asking me, like she was saying earlier in the podcast, she was asking me last night, what's the difference between an LHU pointer and like, say, a Miller bred pointer? Or I'm just using these names, you know, throughout history, you know, these dogs have been, you know, proven in uh, like the Miller's dog and the uh, all-age gun dogs. I told her, I said, I, basically what I did is I showed her a video with Farrell Miller running his all-age dogs. And then I showed her a cover dog video with L Hughes running. And she's like, oh, I see now. I said, yeah. I, I said these L Hughes, you turn them loose and they're hunting the cover. I said, these other dogs, these all-age dogs, you turn them loose, you get on your horse and you look at your GPS and you find them a mile later. 
Well, the, yeah, and and actually, to be fair to Farrell, his dogs rarely ran a mile. His dogs were 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 a lot more biddable than a lot of all age dogs, and uh, uh, which is one of the reasons they were so successful. Right. Correct. If you look at the the national all age championship that's run in in Tennessee mm -hmm. uh, over in Grand Junction, the other end of the state from you, yep, which is a long ways away because I've driven across Tennessee many <laughs> times going to Texas. Ways. Uh, yep. but, uh, uh, those grounds in, at Ames plantation are a lot tighter than a lot of all age grounds. I mean, I've been, I've been up to Saskatchewan to see the real prairie trials and those dogs will run a mile. Yeah. Um, you know, and I've seen them do it. They take a, a section fence, which is a mile square mm -hmm. and they'll take a, a section fence line and just go all the way to the end of it, which is mm -hmm. a mile, um, <laughs> in a straight line. And they'll find birds and point them. And uh, but the 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 good point to make here is that that uh, the difference between uh, Miller pointers and LU pointers is the vision that the two breeders had was completely different. Mm -hmm. Farrell was breeding a dog to to win at Ames Plantation and on the prairies, and and chase on his horse and uh bob was breeding a lot of foot hunting dogs uh, uh you know that were highly classy but that that were biddable and would go with you and mm -hmm. and that sort of thing so um, now, now when you say biddable i know exactly what biddable is and i was explaining that to leslie last night explain that to our listeners when when you a lot of times when you look at a stud dog uh, advertisement it'll say very biddable or you know, stuff like explain to our listeners when you say biddable, what you're talking about, Craig. A dog, my idea of a biddable dog is a, is a dog that, that has a lot of natural ability, but at the same time wants to work with you uh, rather than uh, fight you or, or, or you know, um, sort of like the, the bad boy in school comparison you know he may have been the smartest kid in school but he was always a pain in the you know what uh, and and needed uh you know to get sent to the principal's office a lot and that and sounds uh, like my husband <laughs> I, according, according to his mother <laughs> so, so but the biddable dog is got all the natural ability in it and and but wants to work with you. Mm -hmm. uh, perfect example. I got a dog. I got a dog in here Saturday uh, from a client that, that had some problems with some dogs. And I saw this puppy on this litter on on Facebook, uh, quite literally last winter. And I knew he was looking for a dog because his dog had recently died mm -hmm. early and um, and he called me and he and he tried all over the place to find a dog. The pandemic seemed to make puppies hard to get for people. Uh, mm -hmm. Everybody wanted one. Mm -hmm. And so I picked this puppy out for him just from a video I saw on the internet. And the dog came Saturday for me to work with, uh, never pointed a pigeon, uh, never worked on a check cord. Um, I put a check cord on it Monday. Uh, I check corded it in. It acted like it smelled the birds. Uh, wasn't real sure what to do when I popped the birds out of the trap and I got all excited and we went on to another set of traps and I popped another bird for it. Um, Tuesday, I did the same thing. It pointed both birds mm -hmm. and wanted to. Yeah. That, that dog's biddable. Yeah. Um, didn't want to chase it. Didn't want to run around today. I let it go off the check cord and it ran out found the birds in my bird field, pointed them, stood there. I took a picture of it. Um, then I flushed the bird and it just watched it fly away. Yep. So that dog, you know, is, is going to be very biddable. It's going to mm -hmm. be easy to work with. It's going to want to work with me. Uh, but, uh, and it's still got plenty, plenty of, of run and, and desire. And, um, you know, those things are not diminished by biddability. Mm-hmm. Now, 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 would it be safe to say, Craig, that that dog that you was just talking about will look you in the eye when you talk to it? Oh, yeah, she does. 
Yep. Yeah, that my dad always told me growing up, and no matter what kind of dog you have, a hunting dog, whether it's a hound or a bird dog, if that dog don't look you in the eye, you know, that's, you know, that it's, it's kind of basically it's telling you when you look at that dog wanting to do something, it's mine somewhere else. The dog well, wants at, to do. At his peak, uh, Bob Whaley was probably breeding 10 to 20 litters a year mm -hmm. and, and going through them. And he wouldn't keep a dog that wouldn't look him in the eye. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. No. He would never consider that dog to stay in his program um, if, it, if it wouldn't look him in the eye. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that was, and, and all these, these pointers that we have, um, well, I can't think of a dog in my kennel that, that when I walk up to, his, to the door to let him out, isn't making eye contact with him. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's a real important thing. We have one dog that won't look you in the eye and he's a four pound miniature Yorkie that I've had for years. And that is because, and I think it's a great example of why not to have a dog that won't look you in the eye because Bobo, that's his name. He is uh, unruly, difficult to train and um, definitely wants to be my master and not the other way around so you're saying bobo's not real biddable huh bobo is the <laughs> complete opposite now, now if i remember talking with you yesterday you said you guys have uh, short hairs and wire hairs we do we do yep i would think a four pound whatever would just be a snack for one of them and <laughs> You, you would think, solve that problem real quick. <laughs> you would think, but uh, he tends to like take whatever dog is around him, no matter what the breed or size, and turn it into his like, I don't know. He's like oh, the boss. Yeah, he thinks he's a hundred pounds. Yeah, and and well, they look at him like they're confused, and then <laughs> they basically just do what he wants them to do. That's 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 like that little short guy that's I call it the short little man syndrome that runs up to the biggest guy in the bar and is like, "Come on, <laughs> you know that's that's that's, that's where little four pound Yorkie is." Fortunately, I've stayed out of those kind of bars most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about it. Um, <laughs> well, um, so Craig, two questions for you here. If, uh, if I'm on the fence and I'm, and I'm a guy looking for a cover dog, a grouse dog, and I'm looking at either an L hue pointer or a short hair or a setter, tell me why I need an L hue pointer. I, I, I don't think I can. I think that if you're on the fence, uh, you don't really know what you want. I mean, it's, it's, I think people pick breeds, um, based on um, some emotional connection to the breed rather than uh, uh, any performance criteria. Uh, it, there just seems to be people who are continental breed people who get short hairs and wire hairs. And, uh, and, and then there's the whole legion of setter guys that you know have this image of their bird dog coming back to camp and laying on the rug in front of the wood stove. And uh, <laughs> it, it's, it's, I, I never, I never get into that discussion with people uh -huh. because if I have to convince you to get a pointer, um, you probably really don't want one. So, so it's never, it's never a hard sell with me to, to talk somebody into getting a pointer. I mean, my dogs probably run bigger than most people would be comfortable with, mm -hmm. but at the same time, I, I always tell people, uh, if they're going to stand on point till you get there, even if it takes 10 minutes yep. or 15 minutes, if you're way out West someplace, mm -hmm. um, what more do you need them to do? Mm -hmm. you, you know, yep. you don't need to be able to see them all the time. That's correct. Uh, you don't need a dog that's, that's within 50 yards. Um, you know, you may walk through a cover and there's no birds within that 50 yard, um, a cone and if your dog had run 75 or 100 yards you might have found six birds mm -hmm. so so the, the more the dog runs the faster it runs uh the more birds you find mm -hmm. uh, is, is my you know my thought about it all mm -hmm. uh, and uh if you can't train a dog to the point where you can trust it um then then you either need to get help with your training or or uh, then you need a, or you need a flushing dog. Mm -hmm. uh, so 
I mean, pointing dogs are an acquired taste and um, somebody who's just getting into it, um, if they haven't hunted with somebody else's pointing dogs, they're, they're gonna, it's gonna be a tough transition. Right, right. Yeah, so, so you've, uh, uh, so basically, like, well, like you're saying, it's kind of a uh, beauty is an eye of the beholder thing. So, you know, if a guy's after a, a continental breed, you know, he's gonna pick the wire hire or the, or the GSP, or if he's a pointer man and he wants to cover dog hunt, he's gonna pick an LHU. Um, and uh, now an LHU dog, I've, I've hunted behind uh, one or two LHU dogs. They're very, the difference I see as a, what I'm gonna say an outsider, the difference that I see, and tell me if I'm wrong here, Craig, the difference that I see in an LHU pointer and a, a, a pointer that's don't have basically any LHU blood in it, the other, the other pointers, um, an LHU is a very owner pleasing dog. They want to please the owner. Um, they, they want to, like you said, they're very biddable and they want to please the owner. Would that be a correct assumption? It is, but they're extremely athletic and uh, if if the owner wants them within within sight the whole time or within 50 yards the whole time, uh, it's going to end up being frustrating for mm -hmm. both the owner and the dog. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, my dogs handle uh, almost effortlessly. Um, we go through the woods and I, I rarely even have to say a word to the dogs because they're naturally a quartering dog. Uh, but you know, they're, they, they may go, my biggest running dogs may go 150, even 200 yards at times, but they're going to go that far. And then they're going to make a turn and come across the front and mm -hmm. go a couple hundred yards in the other direction and, and then turn and go across the front. They stay to the front. They know where the front is. Um, you know, the birds are always ahead. They're not behind because you've already been there. Mm -hmm. right. And, uh, uh, you know, these dogs instinctively understand that um, mm -hmm. and when they're little puppies we we make a point of of changing direction a lot and forcing them to keep track of us rather than us keep track of them and uh, you know I, I've worked dogs of other breeds that uh, didn't quite have that same to the front uh, all the time ordering pattern and, and I would have to I have to work hard to to instill that in them mm -hmm. uh, where where my LU puppies are you know they do that naturally I can take six of them at a time and go out into the cover and and I'll come back with all six of them mm -hmm. and, and I think that's the that stands true for you know more breeds than just a pointer you know I'm a I've been a short-haired man for a while I grew up a setter guy my you know my mm -hmm. grandfather my dad always had setters um we uh, and since i've been in the gsps i've saw the same thing in gsps you know there are certain lines of gsps that'll be what i call uh, a, uh i'm gonna call it a foot dog you know 40 to 50 yard range well mm -hmm. i've also seen gsps like that i have that is like the lhu pointers you know they're going to get out in their grouse woods 100 150 yards and do you know just what you're saying and I think it's a lot how, well, it's, it's exactly how the dogs bred. That's exactly why when you breed your dogs, you know, to your females, you know what you're going to get. And I think that's the same in, in all breeds. So I think um, if a man likes a pointer and a man wants to cover dog hunt and a man wants to uh, uh, bird hunt and, and, you know, just, I'm going to say an average farm, uh, an LHU pointer, and I almost pulled the trigger on one a couple of years ago, an LHU pointer is a great walkie gun dog. I, you're not going to get any argument from me. Yeah, uh, that's that's the song I sing all the time. Yeah. So, um, what? Just listen. Even just listening to this podcast, like we've already talked about, um, you've authored. Uh, you know, you're an author. Um, you were. A, were you a professor? Is that what you did as a profession? You were at. English I was, a, I was a high school English you teacher. You were a high school English teacher. And then I, I ran my own magazine for 15 years, a magazine called Well, Field there's Trial. that. There's and, that too. Uh, when Field Trial Magazine stopped publishing, I started writing for Pointing Dog Journal. Uh, okay. And then I did this book and I've done 
that was my 50th book. Wow. Wow. That is <laughs> phenomenal. So, but it's my only one about bird dogs. So it's the only one that really matters in this conversation. <laughs> oh, I started to say, right. so the other 49 don't really matter here, huh? That's for uh, a different no. podcast. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So you wear a lot of hats then. So you're an author, you're a dog trainer, you're a hunter, you're a teacher. Um, so what would well, you I don't call your... more? I'm 70 years old. So I'm, I'm just training dogs and writing a little bit. So Okay. So that one's off the plate. So what would you call yourself first? If, if you like chose one of those things, could you, and what would it be? Jeez, I, I just call myself a dog guy. Yeah, I mean, that's what I kind of figured. <laughs> my, my whole life is wrapped up in, in these dogs and has been for a long time, even back when I was teaching. Uh, teaching was the perfect uh, uh, profession for somebody who lives in the grouse woods because uh, uh, I, got out of, I got out of school at 2.30 and uh, by three o'clock I was in the woods uh, <laughs> every day, uh, cool. all fall. Wow. Um, and uh, until we switched to daylight savings time, you know, I could I could stay out for three or four hours every day. Oh yeah. And then, uh, uh, when when we switched to off of daylight savings time, then the day afternoons would get short. But you know, I'd work I'd work dogs. I'd hunt every weekend, both days, and uh, I'd always play hooky a couple of days uh, during <laughs> October. I get the October flu, bird flu, and uh, the bird flu. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I got um, one thing I can say that I enjoyed about grouse hunting uh, versus some of the other hunting we've done is when we did figure out, you know, hunt the morning and then hunt the evening. And then that meant that Leslie got a nap during the day instead of <laughs> instead of having to walk, you know, nonstop all day long, you know, which I enjoy. You know, I, I have to say I love pheasant hunting and, you know, but but it was nice once we, you know, I, I went and I figured that out. I was like, Josh, uh, we can like totally take a siesta in the middle of the day here and still <laughs> get all our good hunting done. So when so I used yeah. to Texas, Texas, Leslie, we, we had, we had the, uh, we had it knocked. We had uh, a whole string of walking horses on our lease out in Texas. And oh. we, just, we just load them up in the truck and head out into the pastures and and ride horses and chase big running bird dogs and uh, shoot quail. And then uh, as the birds disappeared towards the middle of the day, we'd load up the horses and haul them to town for lunch. And after lunch, we might take a little nap, then we'd go go hunt the evening. So it's the perfect uh, day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, Craig, let's let's backtrack here a little bit. I never did. Uh, you, you was talking about you've you've always lived in the grouse woods. When did you start bird hunting, Craig? How old was you when you when you basically started running behind bird dogs? Well, I, about then. I mean, I hunted uh, without dogs for for a long, long time. Okay. Uh, you know, when I was a kid, and and uh, I lived in Maine for a while, and uh, uh, my friends and I would would. Uh, um, back then it was partridge hunting you'd ride the road oh, yeah. see a bird and jump out <laughs> and chase it around and uh do whatever you could to kill one uh and we didn't kill a lot of them but uh, but when i moved back here uh, I, I first moved here in the late 70s and i and i hunted birds a lot then uh without dogs and then uh, when i moved back in the in the mid 80s uh a couple of guys had just moved into the area that bred setters and uh, I got hooked up with them and ended up uh, um, getting dogs from them and and that got me going. I hunted with them a lot and um, then when I got Jack, uh, when I got Lady in 2001 or 2000, I can't remember, um, from Bob Whaley, I switched to Boiners. Um, mm -hmm. I haven't had a setter for a long time. So, so now what year was it? You said you got your first bird dog? Uh, 87. 87. So I'm, I'm piecing this together here. I'm kind of playing a, uh, investigator. So you're telling me you got married in 73. You got your first dog in 87. It took you 14 years to convince your wife to get a bird dog. That's what I'm putting together here. <laughs> yeah. Well, when we were first married, we didn't live anywhere where you wanted a bird dog. We lived in, in uh, Boston and we lived uh, in South Florida for a while. And, uh, uh, 
it wasn't until we got up here in the woods that it even made sense to have one. Uh, well, well, let me tell you, Bob, if you've been married 47 years, I, I think you did. All right. I keep calling you Bob. Uh, hence the Bob Whaley. Jeez. I'm just going to start. I don't know why I keep calling you um, Craig. He calls me the wrong name all the time. You can imagine how well that goes over <laughs> about like a lead balloon. I'll yeah. that right now. So, like, does, does he get your kids' names right? Um, no, I've mixed no, them up half the time. No, he doesn't get those right. He doesn't. He even calls the dogs the wrong name. She she tells me I'm just like my dad. My dad's the same way. Oh, he'll yes. he'll call me and uh, my dad will call me and I'll answer the phone. He'll call me my sister's name. <laughs> oh, and a lot of times his dad won't even attempt to call me my name because he's called me a way way wrong name that we didn't want him to call me before. <laughs> that, 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 <laughs> That being an ex-wife, yeah. Craig, that being an ex-wife. Yeah, I, well, I, I don't know about that sort of thing. Um, <laughs> but, but if it took you 10 years and you've been married, or 14 years and you've been married 47, I think you've done the right thing because 47 years, I want to congratulate you on that because that just don't happen a lot these days. No, it's it's a thing of the past. <clears throat> now, um, go ahead, Bob, or Craig. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get you straight, I'll get you straight eventually, Jack. Oh, <laughs> I wish you could see the faces I'm making at him. I'm mortified. Yeah. I'm going to have to get me a poster board and put it on top of my computer here. Craig. <laughs> I'll just hold up flashcards. I'll put him on the podcast. As, I'll put your title of the podcast, uh, Interview with Craig Whaley. How does that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, no, Craig. Um, so we we've we know that you're an author. We we, we know that you've uh, you've been a school teacher. You're a hunter. You love running competitions. Um, you you've you've done very well with your with your dogs in the past ten years on the circuit, and you've done very well with your book uh, that you have written here uh, in the past few years. Um, if people wants to get a hold of that book, I think you, you a little bit at the first of the podcast, you was talking about how you sell them directly off your website. Now, is that something that they can go to Amazon or any? Yeah, they can go to Amazon or if they want a signed copy, go to, go to the, uh, my webpage and I'll sign it for them. Um, it's wild apple kennel, no S, uh, dot com. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but it's also available on Amazon. It's available, uh, um, uh, Steve Snell sells it at Gundog Supply. Mm -hmm. uh, a couple of the other uh, other places sell it as well. So uh, there's it's available a lot of places. But uh, if they just Google building a grouse dog, they'll see lots of options as to where to get the book. Is there has there anything that you've ever done in your life that you didn't succeed at, Craig? It sounds like in the dog world, the book world, the, the your marriage, everything you've done has been a success for you, and I want to congratulate you on that. Well, thanks. Uh, sometimes it doesn't feel that way, but you know how that is. Uh, <laughs> I do. Now, as far as as far as puppies go, Craig, do you sell uh, puppies to the general public, or do you generally? have buyers for those or do you have a waiting list uh, if someone wants to get a, a wild apple puppy how do they go about doing that uh, i do have a waiting list it's about two years long maybe longer uh i think there's close to 30 names on it mm -hmm. now, now some of those people have probably bought puppies other places and rather than wait um but a lot of those people specifically want one of my dogs and um you know, I, I, I get two or three inquiries a week and some people mm -hmm. want to get added to the list and some people don't want to wait. And, um, you know, and so, so I don't really, I don't really actively, uh, have to hunt for advertise. Yeah. Yeah. You know, puppies. It's just, you know, when I have a litter, uh, they're already spoken for. Mm -hmm. Now, would you say that, uh, um, I just basically just ran right through my mind what I was going to ask you then. Um, oh, would you say that uh, you have a lot of repeat buyers on your puppies? Well, I have some some regular clients that that uh, I train dogs for that that uh, you know th they obviously have a priority for for additional puppies uh, mm -hmm. because um, I'd be foolish not to. I mean they they buy the puppies and then pay me to train them. And, mm -hmm. uh, then we take them out and, you know, we, we name them wild apple something and, uh, they enhance the brand and, 
and uh, um, so obviously those folks get a get uh, you know they're at the top of the list if they're in the market for a puppy. Mm -hmm. uh, now, now I was reading your book, and you were talking earlier about uh, uh, like you used to get out of or you when you was teaching, you just get out of school and go to the grass woods, and you say you live in the grass woods. Do you actually run a lot of public land, or do you do you own a lot of uh, a land that you run on your that it's basically yours. Uh, New Hampshire has what's known as open trespass. Okay. So if land isn't posted, mm -hmm. uh, you can hunt on. It. Right. Okay. Kind of like um, the North Dakota used to be. Yes. And I live in the northern part of New Hampshire, mm -hmm. which is not public land. It's private industrial woodlands. Mm -hmm. So private companies own it. They're involved in harvesting uh uh wood for pulp and lumber mm -hmm. and um they're constantly creating new habitat for grouse and woodcock mm -hmm. um, that land is is barring gated gates uh if, if you can get to it you can hunt it because it's okay. not posted okay. and they get they get a small tax break for for uh not posting their land and then Personally, I own 100 acres and my daughter owns the farm next door, which is 67 acres. So mm -hmm. we use that a lot for training because right. uh, uh, we manage it um, uh, very extensively for grouse and woodcock. And, um, as I said earlier, we had, I don't know, we moved two or three broods of grouse this morning um, wow. in uh, two training runs. Wow. So is the logging, is it a pretty active logging operation in, in New Hampshire in your area? Is it, you know, they, a lot of early succession? It is. Okay. Well, that's good. What about the, uh, a little, uh, aside of Craig, what about the bird numbers this year, Craig, what are you saying for brood sizes? Have we got a lot of holdover? There aren't any. <laughs> no birds in new hampshire so don't go to new hampshire <laughs> uh, it, it looks like a, it looks like a good year i mean uh -huh. we had a very dry june um mild temperatures and and that's that's one of the big uh determinants uh in any grouse population is the the brood success and you know you just think about it this way um if there's a let's say 100 hens in an area and uh, you get a year where they have all big broods, eight, nine, ten birds. You're talking the original hundred plus eight, nine hundred more birds. Mm -hmm. uh, if you have a, so you you know you might conceivably have in that geographical area a thousand grouse next fall. Mm -hmm. uh, if you have a wet, cold June and survival in the broods is is terrible. And I've seen years like this where there's there's uh, two, three, maybe even one chick in a, in a, that survives. Then mm -hmm. you do the math and instead of a thousand birds, you got 200 birds or mm -hmm. 300 birds. And, and, that, and that makes a huge difference. So, so this is gonna be a, a good year. Our woodcock here are usually pretty consistent. Uh -huh. um, and, uh, you know, and then we'll get flights coming down from Canada as well. Mm -hmm. uh, from the middle of the month to the end so uh you can have some big days on woodcock here uh and then the next day there won't be any yeah uh, so uh but the grouse you know and and the grouse <clears throat> tend to move about in the fall depending on the what's ripe and what's you know what the mass crop is like if there's a lot of beech nuts they'll be in the beaches if there's a lot of uh of uh, uh maple samaras they'll be eating maple seeds uh, mm -hmm. this year we've got a really good raspberry crop so right that's why i've got birds up behind the house because we cut that six years ago and it's it's all uh small whippy stuff and lots of raspberries mm -hmm. uh, so they're in there so um uh, you know it it's there's a lot to finding the birds um you know you can't just well you'll, you'll see them riding down the road but uh, uh when you get into the covers with the with the dogs, uh, if you get in a cover that doesn't have any any food to attract them, uh, even though it looks like good cover, there won't be any birds there. Right, so. right, yeah. Now, now, do you do you travel a lot and hunt, Bob, or do you pretty much, or excuse me, Craig, Bob White's? Yeah, I, I go west to hunt Bob White's. 
<laughs> so do you travel a lot, Craig, and, and grouse hunt, or do you stay pretty much local? I, I, I don't travel to grouse hunt. I, I do occasionally go up and hunt with a friend of mine in New Brunswick, who's also a guy. Oh, wow. Uh, and we hunt uh, uh, much more woodcock up there than, than grouse. And I, I love to hunt woodcock, especially with young dogs. Oh, yes. Because uh, they, they sit better and, and uh, um, uh, they're usually more, they're usually easier to find. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do that. Um, I usually spend the winter in Kentucky. I didn't this past winter because of the pandemic and some other right. issues. But uh, my daughter lives in Berea. I think I told you that previously. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, I go down and stay with her. And I train uh, on the field trial grounds there in, in uh, Berea, um, Miller Welch Wildlife Management Area. Mm-hmm. And I also have uh, access to a 400-acre um, organic vegetable farm that uh, uh, lets me use an old tobacco barn for my kennels. And uh, I got a couple of Johnny houses there. And mm-hmm. I train in the winter. And then I usually go out west at least once because uh, i love to to uh, chase quail around so mm-hmm. there's uh, those bobs there's those bobs <laughs> and the bob whites <laughs> the bob whaleys so <laughs> I, I used to go to texas a lot but uh, uh my ticket to texas uh, uh ended up in a natch the divorce with my sister-in-law and uh so uh, uh that sort of ended but uh uh, now we go to Kansas mostly. Um, we, lo- we love Kansas. Yeah. Yeah. And I have a friend from Maine who, who has a, a, a about 30,000 acres leased out there. Oh, yeah. In South Kansas. Uh, so we don't have to hunt the public area that might get hammered. And um, uh, so we've been going out there to him. Now, when you run your cover dog trials, uh, Craig, you do you run mostly local cover dog? Do you have enough trials to stay local, or do you travel a lot to run trials? I used to travel a lot more. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I I like to go to Michigan. Mm-hmm. I don't like to go to Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. uh, and I do all the trials in the Northeast, mm-hmm. um, and and that includes uh, in the spring. There's a, a a Rhode Island uh, trial that I've I've uh, won and and in, in the past and placed in uh, runner up a few times, and then there's uh, uh, that's in the spring now, and then in the fall there's uh, a, a trial in New Brunswick I normally go to a couple that are local, mm-hmm. and then one over in Maine, uh, and then every third year the the Grand National Grouse Championship rotates through uh, Michigan Pennsylvania and northern new hampshire so that's mm-hmm. here every third year and i always run in that when it's here yeah um, i used to run in amateur championships but i don't do that because i'm a pro now um so i i this i I'll, I'll often go to that and uh the owners of the dogs i train will run their own dogs so um I keep pretty busy especially in september yeah uh, sounds like it it, it sounds like it. We're going to have to wrap this up, Craig, because my wife just held this up in front of me. Can you read that? I, I don't have video anymore. Okay. Well, my, my wife just wrote on a, 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 basically a poster board that says, do not say Bob one more time or you will not wake up tomorrow. sounds like you should probably take that seriously (laughs) so what i'm going to do is we're going to wrap this podcast up i think it's time anyways because i really want to wake up tomorrow and i just don't want to say bob one more time (laughs) and i apologize to everybody and you craig um but there's a lot worse than being called than bob but uh craig i think our listeners has uh, heard a little bit about wild apple kennels today. I think if they're looking for an Elhue uh, bird dog, they know where to come. It's wildapplekennel.com. And um, do you want to give out your email or your contact number or anything if you uh, if people are interested? Uh, they're, they're on the – if you go to the website, okay. uh, the email and the phone number are both there. Okay. Uh, it's 603-381. Eight seven six three, uh, and uh, I answer the phone. So 
he does answer the phone. He answered the phone yesterday and was wondering who in the world somebody from Tennessee was calling him. But uh, I will vouch for that. He will answer the phone. And um, it, it's been it's been great talking to you, Craig. I think that uh, I, I don't know. I, I might end up with a pointer. Uh, my wife, she was watching the videos last night, and and every time she would see an alehue come up on the screen, she could tell and she would say, "Oh, that's a pretty dog right there." I said, they, "Yeah." They, if you if you watch the some of the Paul Fuller uh videos there's some real nice looking dogs and those that were here for training so mm -hmm. um uh yeah we've got some good looking dogs yeah hey craig we want to thank you for your time and i know there's people out there that's very very that's straight up lhu people i mean i know that there's their got their own facebook group and everything um if you want to go search uh, facebook.com and look for lhu's you'll see LHU bird dogs or LHU pointers uh, on there. But uh, Craig, we want to thank you for your time once again and um, and best of luck to you on the trial circuit this year and uh, best of luck to you in the hunting woods. I know it's there's more to, to bird dogs than running trials and uh, you're also a guide and a hunter. And uh, like I said, we want to congratulate you on all the success you had and hopefully talk to you again soon. Maybe we'll talk to you after season and, and see how your bird season went. I, I'll be happy to talk anytime, uh, Josh and uh, Leslie. Try and keep them in line, will you, please? I, it's so difficult, but I will. <laughs> she said. She says. I don't like, give up. She says it's like trying to push a rope uphill, Craig. <laughs> well, hey, Craig. Once again, right. thank you for coming on the podcast, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. All right. Bye bye. Bye bye.